0: history happened everywhere a random place a random time and a topic pulled from the hat the challenge find the fascinating uncover the unexpected and share the stories you're listening to
1: history happened everywhere
0: My name is Ryan Weir, and I am here in the HHE studio with the brand to my bovine behind. It's Mr. Peter Goddard.
1: I am sizzling hot, Ryan. You are. You're the
0: hot end of my stick. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a kind of cowboy reference. I don't know why. Was... Is that what they say? <laughs> yeah, cowboys say that all the time. I don't remember seeing that on the High Chaparral. <laughs> Last week, the later gave us woodwork in Ethiopia during the early modern era. That's 1450 to 1750. And you've had two weeks, Peter, to go away and
1: research those things. So tell me now, what have you found out? We're going to visit the country that would not be colonised and a nation that became Christian before the arrival of any Bible-toting Europeans. It's the home of the descendants of Solomon and Sheba and the caretaker of the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to look at some wood, including a very special piece of wood that brought two countries together. We're going to look at wood used to honour dead heroes. And we're going to discover a twig that has a rather unexpected use. Welcome to Ethiopia.
0: Why don't you tell me a little bit about
1: Ethiopia? Let us begin with an Ethiopian proverb. He who knows much does not speak much. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show. (laughs) (laughs) Say it again. He who knows much does not speak much.
0: Oh, I say, You're implying that you know a lot.
1: That's what I'm saying. It's clever. But uh, um, in, in order to have a show at all, I will kindly dispense my knowledge speaking, even though I do know a great deal. If you will not mind. We are going to visit the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia, also historically known as Abyssinia. Ah. Oh, I've heard you may that have name. Heard of Abyssinia? You about Ethiopia there. This is a country in the Horn of Africa. The Horn of Africa is—you know—Africa kind of looks like a rhino head, sort of looking down. There's a, the sticky out bit on the east, the right-hand side, just where the Middle East is also poking down. Ah, okay. The little projecting out part—that is the Horn of Africa. I've heard of the Horn of Africa. Do you know what? I never knew where it was. I didn't either until I read about it. You hear these things, don't you? But you don't really dig into them. Uh, but it is, in fact, the oldest independent country in Sub-Saharan Africa, and it is a landlocked country, so it, it's also got a lot of neighbours. It's got Eritrea to the north, Djibouti to the northeast, Somalia to the east, Kenya to the south, South Sudan to the west and Sudan to the northwest. Okay that's quite a lot of neighbours. It's a lot of neighbours and it doesn't have any uh, attachment to the sea. It's quite close to the coast but it gets cut off by these uh, particularly Eritrea and Somalia. So similar to our Burkina Faso from last episode. Not, Not wildly different.
2: Hey, Ryan. Ahoy, Pete. Ahoy? Yar, I'm a pirate, so I am. You're a pirate? Yar, an Ethiopian pirate, you bilge-sucking scallywag. I see, but isn't Ethiopia landlocked? Yar, but I give no quarter. Join me crew, and together we'll Uh. horn-swoggle our way to fame and riches. Hmm, fame and riches, eh? Yar, together we'll fill our coffer with doubloons and pieces of eight.
1: Well, that does sound pretty...
2: Pretty tasty. Yeah, We'll sail the high lands and gather a bounty to make the richest of men green with envy. Well,
1: that sounds amazing. I now want to be an Ethiopian pirate. But I got to warn ya.
2: Yeah? If you run a rake, you'll double-cross me. I'll clap your nions and make you walk the plank. Alright. And I'll take all your swag. So what you're saying is? That's right. I'll be taking all Djibouti. Did you
1: buy that whole outfit just for that one pun?
2: Yeah. And the parrot? It's a rental.
1: It's quite big. It's a total area of 1,100,000 square kilometres, or two times of France. That's actually big. That's bigger than I thought it would yeah, be. Yeah, 420,000 square miles, if you two prefer. Two times the size of France. Two times of France. Amazing. And it's also unusually. We frequently had big countries that tended to be sparsely populated. Not Ethiopia. 123 and a half million inhabitants. That's a lot. That's 40 million more than France. 12th most populous country in the world. In the world? Second what? most populous country in Africa, after Nigeria. Well, good for them. Geographic it's got highlands a kind of mountainous area in the north which is kind of where a lot of the seat of power was for a long time we're going to be visiting that area it's got a high central plateau that slopes down into some lowlands and a little bit of desert as well in the media it's probably the desert area that gets focused on most yeah you do you, you image a lot of the images of ethiopia came from particularly in my generation the 80s where there was great famine and so all the sort of live Aid era was to help this drought and famine in ethiopia yeah but uh, there's much more to it than that needless to say And the other thing I like about it is, much like last week, we had Burkina Faso, and they had a capital which was lovely to say, Wagadougou. Well, they also have contributed to the capitals that are lovely to say, because the capital of Ethiopia is Addis Ababa. Addis Ababa. Addis Ababa. Wagadougou. I did Google to see if Abba had played Addis Ababa. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately not. Um, uh, They have a flag, unsurprisingly. It's green, yellow, and red horizontal stripes, the kind of African colours we see very frequently. But in the middle, it's got the national emblem. This is a golden pentagram on a blue disc. And it's got kind of rays emitting from the pentagram as well. So it looks like a star, kind of a little bit. And supposedly the star is Ethiopia's bright future, and the yellow rays, which are equidistant, represent the equality of all Ethiopians, regardless of creed and race and sex and religion.
0: Nice. Yep. I love all these things where they put these hidden messages
1: in. Yeah, it's quite interesting because the the base flag, if you like, the green, yellow, red stripes, has been the flag of Ethiopia for a very long time. But there's been numerous changes of government, which we're going to discover. What they tend to do is to change the bit in the middle oh, okay. of the new flag, so they a little bit of consistency a little bit of a rebrand which is pretty smart this new flag was adopted in 1996 big flag probably
0: encourages little changes to flags as well so they can sell the new version of it
1: they're like this season's kit isn't it it's the iphone (laughs) it's the smartphone
0: of the year like just every year they just change it a little bit
1: (laughs) Uh, would you like to hear a little national anthem i would do you want me to play it oh yes please okay (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna sing it if that's what you're after well
0: i don't know maybe get a flute out or something (laughs) I like it's cheeriness. Oh
1: yeah! It's got energy, it's got passion, bit of vim, bit of pep. So this is officially called March Forward Dear Mother Ethiopia. This is us marching forward into a bright future, hopefully. Heck yes. Is this recent? Uh, this was officially adopted in 1992, so fairly recent. Yeah, fairly.
2: Climax. Nope. Not the climax.
1: <laughs> Feels like the climax. Feels like it's changing genre slightly. Now it sounds closer to a theme tune than an the national anthem. I'm thinking like police academy. Yeah, or I like something it like that. <laughs>
2: That was a good one. I like that one. They brought it home.
1: Yeah, for sure. Right.
2: Ethiopia proverb
1: Pride cannot replace a dinner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the economy. Ethiopia is a transition economy. That means it's moving from a. Wait, wait, wait. Have I just got to sit there and think about what that means? Well, I think it's obvious what it means. Pride's all very well, but you won't put food on the table. Yeah, my
0: brain works slower than you. I have to think <laughs> those things through.
1: <laughs> well, yes. So, talking of dinner and the economy, it's a transition economy. So, that means it's moving from what was a command economy, meaning it's all centrally controlled. So, somebody says, we need this much wheat produced for these areas, to something more market-based, which is allowing the market forces to determine what happens where. Okay. It's heavily agricultural. Agriculture is about 40% of the GDP, 81% of exports, and 85 percent of the labor force all in agriculture okay most of their foreign currency comes from or a lot of their foreign currency comes from coffee exports because as we know if you may remember from well you definitely remember from the yemen episode Mm -hmm. ethiopia is where coffee first originated is yemen nearby then yemen is just across from the horn of africa you leap across to the middle east Mm. and you're there in yemen It is one of the fastest growing economies in the world, but it's still a very poor country. It's currently rated around 22nd poorest country in the world. Wow. But their economy is growing. But it's growing. So here's hope for the future. But uh, we'll find out a bit more about why it's looking a bit bleak at the moment. The official languages are Amharic, Afar, Oromo, Somali, Tigrinya. These all represent various ethnic tribal groups in the country. So depending on
0: where you're born, that's the language that you're likely to speak.
1: Very likely, yes. But what is notable about that list? What's missing from that list? English a European language so most right. of the time when we come across uh ex-colonial places they have English French whatever might be the true. colonial tongue yeah well they don't have an official language from a European nation because oh partly because this is one of those rare African countries that was never colonized by European power that's amazing the only other one and this slightly depends on your definitions you could say Ethiopia is the only one but Liberia is the only other one that was never colonized
0: just those two Out of the whole of Africa.
1: Yeah. Okay, let's discuss some famous Ethiopians. And I'm going to start with your oldest relatives. Uh, you may have heard of Lucy. Lucy is Australopithecus afarensis. Oh, is this early woman? An early woman, yes. Very early woman. She was discovered in 1974 in a place called Hadar in the north of the country. Uh, Lucy got her name from the Beatles song, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, because oh. they played it in the expedition camp, I guess. Because they were on LSD when they found it. Well, they <laughs> I don't think that's how they generally conduct archaeology, but I'm not an expert. Uh, she is 40% of a female who is about a metre tall, three and a half feet tall. Well, oh, that's quite tiny, isn't it? Yeah, and she is 3.2 million years old. She's not the most old humanoid from Ethiopia, though. Lucy's probably the most famous, but more recently, we found Ardi, Ardipithecus Ramadus, found in 1994. 4.2 million years old. That's amazing. It's incredible, isn't it? 4.2 million years old. And named after... I'm not sure, Ardi. Probably, possibly an area. I'm not sure. Another
0: Beatles song.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ardi. (laughs) Ardi.
0: I'm thinking. (laughs) Ardi. I want to party Fight for your right to (laughs) (laughs) arty.
1: There's definitely a Beatles song Okay, we'll edit one in later
2: (laughs) Help, I need somebody Not just any party You know I need someone Help
1: When I was younger So much younger than today I never needed any artists Help in any way more recently, though, famous Ethiopians, I'm going to start with uh, one you're sure to have heard of, Haile Selassie. I mean, I've heard the name. Haile Selassie was once an emperor of Ethiopia. Okay. Born Tafari Makinen. It seems unimportant, but then he gained the title Ras, which is not like head, it's kind of a duke kind of title, which made him Rastafari. That sounds familiar. He is believed by some Rastafarians to have been a second coming, the messiah. No way. So Rastafari is Haile Selassie, the emperor of Ethiopia. Uh, So now here's another famous Ethiopian, Haile (laughs) Gebrselassie. <laughs> his brother Haile Gebrselassie is a, a totally different person he's a legendary long distance runner who won four consecutive Berlin marathons he was a 10,000 metre world record holder just super famous super long distance runner uh, and he's now a coffee farmer good for him uh, another one Turanesh Dibaba the baby face destroyer oh, that's a great name uh, she is another long distance runner she's the holder of the 5,000 metre record and uh, I guess long distance runner is a thing that Ethiopia is very good at turning out you've got to get about somehow right so yeah I'll just jog why not it seems to be- be the mentality now here's one with Ethiopian parents but actually Canadian Abel McConnon Tesfaye also known as The Weeknd Finally, not a person but a thing, the Ark of the Covenant.
2: Don't look at it. Shut your eyes, Mary, and don't look at it no matter what happens.
1: From Indiana Jones. From Indiana Jones. is said to be in Axum in the north of the country and in the treasury near the church of Our Lady Mary of Zion. Wow. actual Ark of the Covenant, they say. Just don't look in it because it'll burn your face off. Well, yes, especially if you're a Nazi. Also, don't be a Nazi. (laughs) (laughs) This was a public service announcement. (laughs) Okay, Ethiopia proverb. A home cannot be built for the rainy season that has passed. No, but you could build it for the next one. Well, yes, that's probably the second part In of the In fact, program, but- it
0: makes sense that you would build it after a rainy season because how are you going to know that you're going to need it for another one? <laughs>
1: Well, you could take that up with the Ethiopians, sir. (laughs) I think they would say you should have done it before the first rainy season because everyone told you. But no, you had to go swimming around. That's
0: a chicken and egg situation as far as I'm (laughs) concerned. You can't build one in anticipation of rain. Otherwise, you're building a house for rain, for an earthquake,
1: for everything.
0: (laughs) That's a lot of time and effort spent.
1: Okay, well, you you go put them right. Meanwhile, I'll ask you a much easier question. What is the date, Ryan? Uh, Today. Today. Today,
0: Peter, the date is Thursday, eighth of September. What year? A year. What year? This is like being in those movies where someone's like, What year is it? <laughs> <laughs> Who's the president? Uh the year is twenty twenty two.
1: Incorrect. It is clearly the third of Pagume, twenty
0: fourteen. Oh yeah. Did I say 2022? Obviously, <laughs> I meant the third of Pagume. <laughs> so
1: this is because the Ethiopians have a different calendar to us, right? They have a year that's 13 months long, 12 months of 30 days each, and the last is either five or six days, so a really short 13th month. And that one is actually Pagume. That's what we're in at the moment, the very short month of five or six days. But they also differ on when they thought Jesus was born. So they start zero at the birth of Jesus from a, based on a different calculation. So they're seven to eight years behind our calendar. The yeah. How does this work in an
0: international world?
1: I think uh, probably, practically speaking, they use Greenwich Mean Time, as does most of the rest of the world. But locally, they have their own way of expressing the and year. And that's
0: all of those different ethnic groups we were talking about?
1: Well, it's called the Ge'ez Calendar, which is kind of, Ge'ez. we'll talk about it a little bit in a minute, It's kind of like the Latin of Ethiopia. So it's a language that isn't spoken, but it's kind of the, a formal liturgical language used in churches. So I would guess probably yes, but I don't know what on a day-to-day basis who's using what and maybe they've all converted to this calendar. Calendar, but nevertheless, you could easily say there's an eight years difference, which gives me, of course, eight years of wiggle room on my time here, <laughs> which unfortunately was no help at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ethiopia is also the home of Tej. Tej? Tej. Love Tej. You love Tej. Well, let's find out if you love Tej. Tej is a honey wine, a bit like mead, brewed and consumed in Ethiopia and in Eritrea, which is next door. Thought to be one of the oldest alcohol beverages ever produced. A lot of people make it at home. It's made of honey, water, and a shrub, little twigs, basically, called gesho. Gesho. I guess it's consumed in social events, festivals, weddings, religious events, stuff like that, and it's considered the national drink of Ethiopia. Well, it's, it sounds delicious. I like all of those
0: things, It sounds good. the we? weird shrub thing, twigs. which I've never heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Mystery twigs you don't know okay (laughs) it's often served in a kind of cool looking bottle which is like a looks like an alchemist's bottle like a bulbous bottom and a thin neck all right i like that awesome and prior to the 1900s it was only consumed by the king and others in his presence and only royal houses could make it honey was actually a form of tax so you'd rent your land with honey so honey was kind of associated with the ruling classes but in the modern age povos like us can can drink Tedge. it's okay it's actually quite hard to find. I googled it, tried to find it on the internet. Thought it'd be dead easy. Not at all. I had to call around several restaurants in London. Finally found one, Harrah Restaurant in Vauxhall in South London, oh, nice. and they make it themselves. They, they make their own. They make their own. And I've got wow, some today. <gasps> so if you'll bear with me, fantastic. Fetch
0: the Tedge. I want to pretend that I'm a king. <laughs> Bring me my Tedge. <laughs> still waiting for my Tedge, And here it is. If you'd like to describe it for the audience. I love it. It's beautiful. It's like this murky, yellow, cloudy colour, rich, beautiful, warm, honey colour of a yellow. And it's super cold because it's been in the fridge. So I'm going to open it up. And I'm going to smell it. It's quite, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to place that. It's kind of earthy.
1: So I asked the lady whether there was any particular way to drink or method or ritual involved, and she said, just right. drink it like wine. So right. I guess we just drink it like wine.
0: Right, well, I can do that.
1: Cheers. Cheers. Here's to
0: Ethiopia. Oh, that's sweet. That it's
1: really sweet.
0: <laughs> I like that. Like a cool lemonade drink. It is refreshing, isn't it? Ooh.
1: The lady did say, don't mix it with other drinks or you'll go mad. Wait, what? (laughs) I think proverbially mad rather than actually mad, but I think uh, it's best left untainted. So, no Tej punch bowl. Yeah, exactly. Vodka and Tej or whatever you might go for. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, on its own, that already sounds like a bad idea. (laughs) I like it. So, there it is. Tej. Delicious Tej. Thank you, Ethiopia.
0: I really like the Tej. Thanks, Ethiopia. So, Peter, what are you going to tell me about now?
1: I'm going to tell you the history of Ethiopia, the whole lot, start to finish.
0: That's good, because I know none of it.
1: Right, this is going to orient you nicely. Is an Ethiopia proverb first. Okay. <laughs> life has no meaning for one without a home. All right. As per usual, you're going to need to walk me through that one slower. Home. Home is everything. Home life makes life worth living. Without
0: that, there's nothing. Okay, I approve that one. That's signed off. You can let them know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Ethiopia could be called the starter home of early man. So we talked about Lucy and Ardi, the super early fossils that were found. Yep. Um, but Ethiopia is also considered one of the earliest sites of the emergence of anatomically modern humans. But they found some the, something called the Omo remains, the oldest fossil finds dating to 200,000 years ago, the middle Paleolithic. So that's a solid early man. This is more or less where early man gets going. Really? This is where it all sort of started?
0: So, the, so they think at the moment. That's amazing, isn't it? It? Like, to be able to pinpoint it down to one specific country?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Time passes, the early man does his thing. The 10th century BC, though, sees the rise of a kingdom, Dumpt. Sorry, what? It's Dumpt. It's spelled, I, I had to Google this to pronounce it, D-apostrophe-M-T. Dumpt. Dumpt. <laughs> dumpt, yeah. Okay. So that's a kingdom that exists in the 10th century BC. By the 1st century AD, that has been <laughs> displaced. I know
2: it's hard to get over. Well, yeah,
1: I'm just picturing the people who live there. Why couldn't we just have a name? They couldn't afford vowels. That was the problem. With that, that struggling. So, the first century AD, the Axumite kingdom rises to power. That's one of the early kingdoms in human history, I guess. This is in the Tigray region, in the far north of the country, in the highlands of Ethiopia, a mountainous region. And they set their capital at Axum, which is still a city today. Uh, This grew into a major power on the Red Sea, and it had connections with and conflicts with Yemen, just across the way. So, Ethiopia's history is probably more shaped by that relationship with the middle east than it is with more central africa partly because i've got these mountains but partly because it's a really short hop across to yemen so in the fourth century christianity was declared the state religion which is one way to make yourself missionary proof already be christian yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine when the missionaries turned up what we know <laughs> Dang it! um later on islam really starts to take off in the arabian peninsula and as they become successful the axumite kingdom starts to decline uh, around about 960 there's a character called queen gudit or judith who destroys the remnants of the kingdom of axum and they give way then to the zagwe dynasty so these these aren't all precisely ethiopia as we know it there's kinds of ebbs and flows but this is within this region basically so the axumites give way to the zagwe dynasty and they move their capital to lalibela lalibela and they're notable for building the church of saint george and 10 other churches in lalibela and i say build but they're more carved they've carved them out of the solid stone of the ground. So when you see pictures of it, you kind of see people stood on the ridge, and then there's a like a very deep moat almost, and then. Carved out of just one piece of stone in the ground, right. is a church. it's That's amazing. Quite remarkable. How do they know that they were, the rock was big enough that they could build a church out of it? Well, I guess there's it's all the most of the ground. I guess <laughs> it wasn't like an individual rock. It's the ground as well. Oh, I, I
0: see. Right. Okay. So I'm imagining soil with like a big rock.
1: No, there. no. And it's then... the, it's as if they've just carved down. It looks a little bit like Minecraft, if I'm honest. <laughs> really, <laughs> the way it <laughs> kind of digs straight down and there's all these beautiful straight lines. But it's really a really remarkable thing. Well worth looking at
0: i always think about when those structures you know that are dug out of caves and things there was a day three on that (laughs) build right (laughs) they're just scratching away at a
1: wall like this still a lot to go here are we on (laughs) track How's our (laughs) mild yeah and at the end of quite a long amount of effort i would imagine they've got a trench (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't look like a church yet.
0: No, not really. I mean, you've got to wonder whether or not it was generational. I guess it's a bit like some of the European cathedrals and things that have been built over hundreds of years. And so the architect who designed it never got to see it finished, right? Never saw it
1: completed. Yeah, it's it's certainly in effort terms. And the result is amazing. Mm. It, it's certainly akin to those super long projects. It's a really remarkable thing to look at. <sighs> 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 That's the sound of the men working on the rock church That's the sound of the men working on the rock church Oi, you two, stop singing and get back to work Okay Uh, in the end, though, the Zagwe dynasty, as all dynasties, comes to an end. The Battle of Ansar in 1270 puts paid to them, and they're followed by the Solomonic dynasty. We're going to be hearing more about them and a specific element of them anyway. These guys claim a direct line of descent from King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Huh. These are pretty important people. Yeah the solomonic empire dynasty dominate the horn of africa artistic and literary advances they don't have a fixed capital they just kind of drive around in camps and stay wherever they stop and their legitimacy was really based on this link back to biblical times to Solomon and Sheba and that is recorded in the 1300s in an important book for Ethiopia they're called the Kebra Nagast which is an account of the origins of this dynasty so their legitimacy wasn't so much based on war although needless to say that was a part of it but it was the we come from this lineage which is why you've got to pay attention to us they have various kings and queens but mostly kings but there was also an empress a very smart lady who we will be meeting later called Eleni oh no way she was a very important player in Ethiopian history she was uh, initially the wife of a most famous king in this period, Zahra Jacob. But she was also the regent for the child emperors who followed. So she was influential way beyond her time, you might say. And this is the period where you see a bit of increased connection with European Christianity. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about later.
0: Wait, so they, uh, their Christianity was slightly different Christianity?
1: Yeah. So it's, it has roots in what's known as Coptic Christianity. It's, uh, it's As with all these things, they kind of evolve as they travel. So there is an Ethiopian church, which mm. is slightly different as the very, well, one of the many types of church available today, I guess.
0: So they still believe in Jesus christ being the messiah but they have other parts of that story which are slightly different do they
1: yeah the basic beats are the same but the detail will differ certain ceremonies might be different certain specifics of beliefs and interpretation might be different it's like the
0: marvel multiverse <laughs>
1: very <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah i'll say yes we'll move on <laughs>
2: in Jesus. Wait, if you activate the Tesseract, you could bring together every Jesus in the multiverse. But we have to try for America. (laughs) What? What happened? are you? I'm Captain Jesus. I activated the Tesseract, which brought you here. Ah, the old multiverse, eh? Well, I'm Iron Jesus, billionaire playboy messiah. I developed an anti-gravity suit, laser blasted the Romans, and saved the chosen people with my inventions and dry wit. Who are you? I'm your friendly neighborhood Spider Jesus. I stuck myself to the cross and just hung around up there until everyone got bored and went home. And you are? Jesus Strange, Savior Supreme, Master of the Mystic Arts. I turn water into wine. Hulk Jesus Bless! Hi, guys.
1: You are? I'm a lawyer from Marvel with a cease-and-desist order for this tasteless and copyright-infringing sketch.
2: Excelsior! God here! Bloody hell! What are you playing at?! This is sacrilege! Everyone, go home before I start some serious smiting!
1: So now we're into 1528 to 1540, the Adal Sultanate. This is a Muslim kingdom to the south that starts a war with the Ethiopian Empire of the Solomon guys. Just hugely damaging, them basically. And then there's just an ebb and flow of kingdoms in the area and various people moving around in a, a sequence known as the Aromo migrations. These are the Oromo people who kind of roam about.
0: Is that because they were nomads or is this because of...
1: This just seems to be a general migration of the people filling in space where it's available. Okay. Then there's another period of the rule by the same line of people that the, as the Solomonics. And this uh, is where they settle a new capital in a place called Gondar. That's their third permanent capital. So there's Aksum, Lalibela and Gondar. And all of these are in a relatively small stretch of area up in the north in the islands of Ethiopia. It must have uh, been a very good place to base yourself, right?
0: There must have been food and water. and
1: Yeah, I think the climate's relatively secure. tame. There's mountains to protect you a little bit. So, yeah, I think that's uh, a big part of it. So, Ethiopia proverb. It is foolish to start a fire just to see the flames. I mean, I guess. <laughs> unless, unless you're bored or... I struggle with this one because I would definitely start a fire just to see the flames. But I think in a very dry region, there's probably more reason not to do that. So let's talk conflict. There's a period of conflict now between regions and religions. This is known as the Zemina Mesifint which is, no one's in charge, really. There's just lots of little regional conflict, which isn't very interesting from our point of view. Until 1855, where a guy called Tewodros II was crowned the Negusa, Negusa Nagast, the King of Kings, or the Chief of Chiefs of Ethiopia. And that begins a kind of modern age. So the next important guy is a guy called Menelik II. Uh, he signs the Treaty of Wakul with Italy, granting them a portion of northern Ethiopia, which is now Eritrea. And in return for that, they get promise of 30,000 rifles, ammunition, and cannons.
0: Okay, this is Italy.
1: This is Italy. We
0: don't often hear about Italy and Africa.
1: Well, we'll find out why in about 30 seconds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Italians went, that's great. Thanks for Eritrea. Yeah. Went back to Europe and said, we've got Ethiopia. Menelik went, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, you haven't. <laughs> That's not what this says at all in the Amaric Amer- version, the translation I have. So there was a little bit of a disagreement about whether Italy owned Ethiopia or not as a result of this treaty, resulting in 1896, a war with Italy
0: right Italy was getting a little bit of Roman flashback there I think I think they just were just yeah. the overstretch
1: well the war with Italy doesn't end well for Italy and in a reversal of fortune given 99 times out of 100 we see African nations kind of getting hurt bad by Europeans arriving the Italians lose the Battle of Adwa wow 18,000 Italians with some artillery were admittedly up against somewhere between 73 000 and 120,000 Ethiopians wow that's a lot of people they pushed it all up the beach to put it that way. and this was 18 when? this was 1896
0: so we're talking in horses and cutlasses and some
1: artillery cannon yeah a little bit of cannon yeah okay but this is a, a, one of the key moments of not getting colonized right they win mm. italy goes home and menelik expands ethiopia into roughly the borders that we know today 1930s annex key point, Rastafari Makinen also known as Haile Selassie's crowned emperor. And he starts to really modernize the nation. His idea is to make.
0: I order. don't know if you know Peter, but actually he's perhaps the originator of the Rastafarian movement. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, fascinating. I, I heard that somewhere. Right? <laughs> <It's a while. laughs>
1: yeah. So he starts to modernise the nation, but he has a problem in 1935 in the lead up to the Second World War. Italy evades again. Wait, what? They actually invade this time. They invade and occupy Ethiopia.
0: So they they lost, and they thought, you know what? We can't have this. We got to go back. So, so this was 35,
1: two. right? They're in the revving up. they have yeah, revving up still. for the big one, really. Hmm. So famously, Haile Selassie goes to the League of Nations and really eloquently pleads for aid in resisting this illegal invasion by the Italians, where I think they used mustard gas as well. So it was a, atrocities as well famously makes his impassioned speech for assistance and equally famously he gets no assistance whatsoever and he goes into exile but italy go on to lose in world war ii so or change sides if you'd rather and so Haile Selassie gets to go home and he goes on to rule ethiopia until 1974 so yeah Haile Selassie goes home he rules until 1974 in 1974 a council of soldiers known as the derg which sounds a little bit like a sci-fi space yeah. race. but Derg from Kandor. <laughs> exactly. Drinking their tinge. Well, they seize power and they start a period of communist rule that lasts until 1991. In that time, they're supported by Cuba and the Soviet Union particularly. Unsurprising. Mm. 1991, that period with the fall of communism obviously affects them. They A new government is established. It's the transitional government of Ethiopia. At this time, Eritrea elects to become independent from Ethiopia and it was ruled by a governing coalition of four parties representing different ethnic groups it's dominated by the Tigray people's liberation front and this was a stable government but not great on the human rights side of life change comes over time i'm not exactly sure when the change came but a notable period is 2018 there's a prime minister called Abiy ahmed was elected he stops the war with eritrea because after eritrea became independent ethiopia just warred with them basically but he also wanted to change the system of government so this four governing bodies from different ethnic groups he wants to change and some of some of the people saw this as an attempt to centralize power and remove it from the regions so a lot of people didn't like that particularly the tigrayan people the northern tigray region and it starts an ongoing to this day still going on civil conflict there's now ethnic clashes going on and the country's not in a great place at the moment there's basically civil war but on top of that ethnic clashes in different areas between different groups on top of it and on top of that if that wasn't hard enough the last four years very little rainfall now drought is looking like a very real risk so we could be looking at a significant crisis in the area in the near future possibly reminiscent of what we saw in the 80s so a bit of a bleak ending again i'm afraid but let's not forget it is one of the fastest growing economies so maybe good sense will prevail and the people of ethiopia can look forward to a brighter future because ethiopia proverb no one can know what the new day will bring i like that one
0: because no one can
1: exactly Let's talk about woodwork, Ryan. I'd love to talk about it. We haven't spoken about anything woody. So I am going to be looking at some wooden artefacts you can find in various museums, so specific items, and they in some way encapsulate what was going on in Ethiopia at different parts of our period, the end of the medieval, start of the modern age. So our first item is a processional cross, which can be found in the Metropolitan Museum in New York. Okay. A processional cross is a big cross that's designed to be carried around on a stick, basically, and go, Oh, look, bless, the blessings emanate, I guess, from the cross in some in way. In a
0: procession, yeah.
1: Yeah, so this one was carved, I think, or comes from around 1500
0: CE. Oh, I think that falls within your time period. It surely does. Oh, that's, that's handy, isn't that it? That is not it
1: handy. And it's made from carved wood with a tin inlay.
0: Tin inlay. Tin inlay. That's nice, isn't it? It's fun to say.
1: <laughs> so the cross itself is about 50 centimetres high. So it's not massive, but it goes on the end of a stick, by the looks of it. And it's in the shape of an Ethiopian cross. Now, when you and I think of a cross, we think of that crucifix shape, which is a longer vertical than a, a short crossbar. Yeah. Uh, the Ethiopian cross is just a square cross, more like a Maltese cross kind oh, of thing. Oh, OK. Uh, the carving's super elaborate, and it also has geometric patterns that kind of repeat the cross in various ways as well. It's a, it's a really beautiful thing. As a crucifix, though. It's pretty useless.
0: Unless you've got small
1: legs. I was a crucifix? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For crucifixion, you mean? Well, yeah.
0: Isn't that the point of
1: it? Uh, that's a fair point. I'm I'm not sure they did much crucifying in them, so it's symbolic.
0: Yeah, no, I get that. I'm just saying. Like, I'm, I'm just saying. I like saying that you got no an eye to the right practicalities.
1: The <laughs> I'm just saying.
0: Like, as if I knelt down on it, then that would be fine. But that kind of defeats the point. And you're a
1: tall guy too. So yeah. you'd just be stood there going, well, this is going to take ages. <laughs> Uh, also there's a foliage effect believed to represent the tree of paradise uh, kind of bound in with the various geometric patterns
0: is that like the Garden of Eden tree of paradise yeah.
1: and at the base of the cross there's this little square a sort of square that's thought to represent the tabot the tabot is a kind of tabernacle it's kind of a replica of the Ark of the Covenant side note my favourite word ever tabernacle Yeah, I love that's it. a great word isn't yeah it? and you can find a tabot in every Ethiopian church it's kept in the holiest part of the church and it's super sacred and it's only taken out on very special occasions so it's a very precious thing And this particular item comes from a place called Gundagunde Monastery, which is a really remote place in the highlands of Ethiopia in Tigray, again, in the far north. And this is a monastery that's really remote. It's very famous for its collection of manuscripts. Okay. There's a very good reason why it's come from there in particular. You're going to find out after I've explained a bit more about this period to you. Okay. So I've chosen this item because it reflects the importance of Christianity in Ethiopian history. Uh, And as we enter the 1450s, we are in the Solomonic dynasty, the people who claim descent from King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. So one of the things this family, this dynasty did was as a demonstration of their power, when they they expanded their territory, they would tend to build a monastery or a church as a projection of that power. And one of the things they did with that was it was very richly decorated with gems and metalwork on the walls. But also they had a kind of a, a look at my fancy stuff from abroad kind of thing. So they had a quite a big desire for foreign things particularly relics you know saints bits of saints and whatnot and all these show that as with anyone who has their on display from things from their travels it's a kind of a look at what i've done and look how great i am snow globes snow globes exactly so snow globes but like fingers in boxes (laughs) and the like (laughs) so there's a book by Verena krebs who's uh, an academic and she wrote a book called snappy title medieval ethiopian kingship craft and diplomacy with latin europe I read this book. Uh, It talks about the relationships with the Christian West. And there's a kind of enduring narrative that says that Ethiopia contacted the West for guns and technology, basically. And she says that's not actually true. What they mostly wanted, when when you read their letters, is cloth, carpenters, craftsmen, and religious icons. They actually just want religious items actually much more than guns and ammo. Uh, so I'm going to tell you about one of these missions they made to Europe to and the outcome of it, which was quite interesting. I'm excited to hear. All right. So in 1508, Ethiopia had previously received emissaries from Portugal seeking an alliance. And the reason for that was they had a belief in Western Europe in a guy called Prester John. Can I just say at this point in time, you shouldn't be trusting the Portuguese is what I've learned. <laughs> i know they will tend to appear at the most inopportune moments but we'll uh we'll see how this goes so this guy prester john was supposedly a powerful christian ruler to be found in the orient in inverted commas so over there in Mysteryland, amongst the pagans supposedly a powerful christian force who ultimately in the 12th century this rumors of this guy starting in the 12th century so a couple of centuries before was supposed to ultimately if you start crusading this guy's going to come from the east too because he's super powerful and he's uh going to fight for christianity so he was originally thought to be in Asia, somewhere, India, possibly China, who knows? Uh, and gradually over time, they go, well, there's no Prester John over there. So then, a couple of centuries later, eyes turn to Ethiopia. Look, here's a Christian country that's outside of Europe. It's beyond Egypt, which is Islamic. It's in sort of surrounded by Islamic countries. So they go, oh, right, this must be this mystery land of Prester John. Why nobody is saying Prester John's been living for an awfully long time at this point, <laughs> I don't know. But this, this legend of this king across the water is uh, quite enduring in Western Christianity so there isn't a prestigeon, John the truth is but there is a Christian kingdom in Ethiopia so is the legend right I don't know I don't you could see it both ways but I see it as a kind of a cities of gold kind of thing where there is stuff there but it's just nothing like what you kind of imagined it to be. Well, this is the thing, isn't
0: it? There probably was at some point someone called Presto John, and that's just been lost over time. And the, the legend continues. People love a legend.
1: Yeah, the, especially given that nobody went, well, he's probably dead by now. Right. <laughs> After 200 years. Like, yeah, he's still out there. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the start of the 1500s, Portugal sends some emissaries to Ethiopia, a guy called Pedro de Covila, and they arrive asking for military and financial support from Ethiopia this prester john character uh, he's received with quote much pleasure and joy by the ruler a guy called eskender he doesn't get uh any military support and he's not allowed to go home they keep him they go right you got to stay here and and he's joined by various other missions and and they they keep arriving and just being told they can't go home Okay. So they, this community of people who are supposed to be coming to pick up support just starts to develop in Ethiopia. Because they're not allowed to leave. Because they're not allowed to leave. So they seem to be living quite comfortably. Not happy-happy, but certainly living decent lives. Drinking a lot of Tej. I guess so. I mean, uh, they have got to do something while you're stuck. So initially, it's a bit of a one-way traffic. But then there's we did talk about Eleni, who was this empress and influential figure. Eskender was someone who'd actually sidelined her. Eleni was a couple of generations before Eskender. She'd married Zara Yakob and was the empress whilst he was the great emperor. She was then the next emperor declared a queen mother, reflecting her continued influence. But then it's Eskender's turn, and he's not big on Eleni. He sidelines her. Understandable. Big mistake. Don't sideline Eleni, because she then coordinates a coup, and Eskender is killed. <laughs> <laughs> And from then on, Eleni goes back to playing an important role in government. So that sounds
0: like the kind of thing an Eleni would do.
1: That is, sounds like something an Eleni could definitely <laughs> pull off. So this is important because Eleni makes one big decision. So instead yeah. of ignoring these incoming Portuguese and just sort of collecting ambassadors, uh, in 1508, acting as regent for the ruler called Lebna Dengel, who's a child, she writes a letter to the Portuguese promising to help them out with supplies as great as the mountains and men in numbers as sands of the sea. That feels an over-exaggeration. It's a big promise, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's poetic, poetic language. I'll give you a, a horse and cart and fifty quid. <laughs> so she means well, and she's got a she's got a plan, right? But what happens next is a really good illustration of how difficult international relations can be when transport and communications are not as instant as we have them today. Okay. Ethiopian proverb: Restless feet may lead you into a snake pit.
0: I mean, in the sense that if you just keep walking. You might fall into a snake pit. Yeah, and uh, just travelling around could cause you problems. Mm. So let's talk travel. Elena- I like what you're doing, by the way, putting <laughs> these things in. They've all got like some sort of link. Don't think it's not going unnoticed. Nice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so Eleni appoints an ambassador, a courtier called Mateus, who's an Armenian who's in the Solomonic court. I guess cool. there's an international community here. Why not? So now she wants to put some wood to work. Uh See what I did there? Because she gives him a piece of the one true cross to serve as a gift to the Portuguese to show her true intent. So she had a piece of the cross that Christ was crucified on. Yeah, yeah. And she gave it to this guy. She did. Oh. it's very likely to be well, well received, possibly because it was kept in a box of pure gold. Wow! I'm like, yeah, can I just... Don't chuck the box away! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> so, Matthias and some companions set out. They, just, they set out disguised as traders. So, travelling as an ambassador, wasn't a matter of wafting your diplomatic community around. They had to sort of smuggle themselves out. Because of bandits and stuff? Ah, yes. And also, they're travelling through Islamic countries as well, so you're probably not necessarily well received. So, they traveled weirdly to portugal via goa and and i haven't got the details of it but it takes them five years to get to to the portuguese court (laughs) that feels too long that's a really long time that feels too long i mean i mean you missed a connection i don't know what's (laughs) gone wrong here but five years but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter because they get there right king manuel the first of portugal writes to pope leo X that he was expecting quote an ambassador from prester john the most powerful lord of christians February 15, 14, these guys arrive. There's three days of celebrations because it's been five years. What, yeah. For three days, right? And then finally, Matthias and his pal, this guy called Jakob, is allowed to deliver the letter from Eleni. Question. Yes. How did they know they were still alive? Yeah, I know. I, I wondered this because there's another element later where they put out a print pamphlet about how they're doing. I'm like, how did you know that? I, right. I genuinely don't because know. if I that's guess. the case,
0: then just send a letter from
1: Eleni via that method. Oh, right. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I don't know what the answer is, yeah. to be honest with you. But anyway, so they, they arrive. The letter arrives. I'm going to help you. Brilliant. Manuel goes, brilliant. I'm going to give you some stuff back. Take these gifts back to Eleni and I'll oh. wait for my millions of men. Right. <laughs> and They were like, come on, we've just got it. I know. Right. <laughs> well, no, they, they have a little bit of time because Manuel puts a shopping list together. It includes gilded tables, velvet upholstered chairs, golden armour, fabrics, cloaks, curtains, tapestries, silk, jewellery, illuminated books, two full organs. OK, wait, 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 wait. Go back. Illuminated books. Illuminated books, as in illuminated with pictures. Oh. They don't light up. They don't lamps. <laughs> Just imagine,
0: like, opening the book up and, you know, oh. gold.
1: Leaf. <laughs> I more If there's enough gold leaf, you might get a bit of that. Yeah, that sounds awesome. But yeah, two full organs. Wait, they've got to carry this back? They've got to take this all back. Uh, oh. Also, she'd asked for craftsmen. They sent some painters, organists for the organs, presumably, and a printer, not a Hewlett-Packard, an actual printer yeah. person, to respond to her request for craftsmen craftsmen. craftsmen so also notably not lots of weapons or instruments of death so meanwhile, she sent this letter. They've disappeared and gone five for years. five years. But no, because it's six years. Cause it takes a year just to put the cargo together, so and they- then they to get, get back as well. So it's been nearly a decade. Well, I'm glad you say that because they set out to return on the seventh of April, 1515, with an armada and fleet of 24 sails. So wow. a lot of people. Trying, that's right? a
0: cool. That's a cool day. Imagine being there at the port when they were all leaving.
1: Right, and there's an embassy of more than a dozen men. So there's problems on the journey back. It takes them six years to get oh, come back on to on. Ethiopia. Ship's log, 12th of March, 1517. The journey is long and arduous. A thousand days have passed since we left port in Lisbon for the dark continent and the court of John. What little joy I felt in my heart for the adventure has long since evaporated with each desperately slow day. The first mate insists on inquiring at half minute intervals our prospect of arrival. His voice echoes in my mind even now. Are we nearly there yet? Are we nearly there yet? Are we nearly there yet? Master Rodrigo does his part to entertain the crew with his game of Eye Spy with My Little Eye, but long ago did O for Ocean and B for Boat afford any relief from the accursed boredom. It's almost enough to make me rue that both organists were tossed overboard long since, as each in their turn confessed the only tune they were capable of was Old MacDonald Had a Farm, E-I-E-I-O. And the cargo fares little better. The fine velvet seats have long since lost their luster through repeated use for musical chairs and trading the linens for a swing ball set was, perhaps, an error on my part. Nobody likes the swing ball. Nonetheless, I must maintain a happy aspect and appear jolly before my crew at dinner, despite the dwindling stock of rations. I wonder, will it be fish again? It will. It most certainly will. Come. Land ho, Captain! Thank the Lord. Is this it, the land of the Ethiop, our final destination? No, but we
0: have got to Goa, so we're halfway there. this is ridiculous they had a little port or something that they were like look let's just we can hang out here for a couple
1: of years you have to sus- suspect some shenanigans don't you but not least because something you're going to find out in a second so they land in 1520 hooray they're back in ethiopia and then the, all they've got to do is get from the landing port to the and everyone's like who to are the you? court <laughs> well as it happens Mateus, the ambassador who originally went out and has now come back on the first stop after they landed dies <laughs> <laughs> right so he never makes it back to court. well yeah there was a risk of that isn't
0: there over like 12 years worth of travel that
1: close though so, okay, never mind. They keep going. And then they arrive in the court of Lebna Dengel, who is now an adult. Remember, Eleni yeah. was acting as regent. He was a child. He's now an adult. He doesn't like the way Eleni did things. He, in fact, says, no, I didn't send Mateus to Portugal. I don't know what you're talking about. No.
2: <laughs>
1: he claims he's gone without his permission. He declines to even meet with the ambassador for several days after his 10 years of journey. Finally, he gives the ambassador a short interview where he declares the gifts, quote, disappointing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to be fair, they were new when he left. And they were five years old when
1: he got there. Well, it was worse than that. They were also a fraction of what they started out with, because a bunch of it broke, got nicked, Sold. And misappropriated on the <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I guess what was left was indeed quite disappointing. And it wasn't brilliant on the Portuguese side either, because apparently fist fights would tend to break out between the ambassador and his deputy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, right. So the, there they are. They stay there for six years, uh, during which the Portuguese king, Manuel I, also dies. So now they're representing someone they don't even know who it is, because it's New King and they're quite a long way from home. So after six years... They, they just go home. So, so, in a sense, it's progress. They've been allowed to go home, which is the first. What did they achieve? Nothing. What actually came out of 15 years essentially of diplomatic efforts, travel back and forth, linking Europe up with the great, albeit not real, Prester John? Hmm. Basically, nothing. There is a postscript to this, even though this appears to have been nothing. And it does suggest that Eleni was onto something. So, to the south, the Sultanate of Adal was rising up. There's a charismatic leader there called Ahmad Gragan or Ahmad ibn Ibrahim al Ghazi. He's stops paying tribute to the solomonic dynasty he's like no we can do better than this and they actually start fighting with the ethiopian empire and as a result of everyone having gone home and no real success on the diplomatic front there were no portuguese soldiers there to help out so basically the sultanate of adal kicks ass as they say Now, you remember at the start I said the the Solomonic dynasty would make churches and monasteries as a projection of their power. Well, this then makes them a juicy target for these Muslim invaders. So to take one example, the Makana Selassie Church, there's a book called the Futur al-Habasa, which is a contemporary account of the invasion. It says that Ahmed's troops entered the church in amazement and they took time to appreciate its fine workmanship. Then they set to work with, quote, a thousand axes, ripping out the gold and precious stones that were in the church. And then they set it on fire. And they did that to pretty much all the churches that they found. There's an Ethiopian historian called Tadasi Tamrat who says, The Muslim occupation of the Christian highlands under Ahmad Gragn lasted for little more than 10 years, but the amount of destruction brought about in these years can only be estimated in terms of centuries. Wow.
0: Makes you wonder what we miss
1: out on now seeing, right? Exactly. and that's It's amazing that anything survived from the past, right? It is, but that's why it's not surprising that our processional cross that we started with has came from the Gunda Gunde Monastery, because I said it was a super remote monastery. Its very remoteness helped protect it from the invading and destructive forces of Adal. Ethiopia proverb. <laughs> Hardships do not come to those that are prepared. Or, to put it another way, should have listened to Eleni and had some Portuguese troops to hand. (laughs) That
0: would have been helpful, wouldn't
1: it? Would have done. Well done, Eleni.
0: I'm very drunk on Ted, by the way. (laughs) I'm just saying, this stuff is stronger than I thought it would
1: be okay our next item the history of ethiopia is really dominated by this story of christianity and its conflict with islam but there are a huge range of ethnic groups in the country and i thought it'd be nice to look at something non-christian just to mix it up a little bit so our next item is from the brooklyn museum and it's a waga which is a carved image of a man okay i'm not sure of the date of this exact one it says 19th century or earlier which is a pretty broad brush if you ask me but these things called waga have been made for hundreds of years so it represents a tradition that easily covers our time period so this guy's got Carved necklaces and bracelets, and these pretty good looking guys got us quite detailed. So, what this is all about is these are memorial statues made by the Konso people who you find in south central Ethiopia, and they're carvings to commemorate extraordinary men after their deaths. Oh, wow, that's awesome! I love that. So, statues basically, exactly. So, Ethiopia proverb. A man that is too modest will go hungry. Well, obviously. So these statues are made to people who've killed an enemy or uh, wild animals, lion or a leopard or possibly a buffalo. Wow. So you've got, to, you've got to have done something cool to enable you to get one of these statues. Pete, if I kill a buffalo, I want to wag a wagger statue. I will make sure it happens. You will be then, in that case, you'll be a hedalita, a hero. And when you die, a wagger will be commissioned. Wagger or wacker, different spellings of the same thing. They get commissioned after you die by the eldest son. What happens is you negotiate with an artist and the sculptor then moves into your household and they work with a family member who's assigned to, I guess, make sure the end result does the guy justice. And you have to look after this sculptor, feed him and drink him and make sure he's happy. Uh, And this takes a while because you're not just making a statue of the hero for this display that's going to happen after this person's died. You do the wives, which may be multiple. You do the vanquished foe, be it man or wild animal, and their weapons as well. So it's like a little nativity. It's like a little scene. It is. It is a little bit like that. Yeah so yeah it's amazing it's good isn't it so the sculptor stays with you everyone gets a statue of wives and uh, enemies i guess
0: that sounds like such hassle though pete sorry to keep interrupting you but that does sound like hassle don't it can you imagine the, the, w- the wife being like i don't like that do it again and the I need can I yeah can i have longer <laughs> hair
1: so the carving there's sort of ritual elements of the carving of the guy He might have a helecha on his head which is a phallus which represents a, an actual object that he was allowed to wear if he was a hero or an elder he also has displayed his actual genitals will be shown on the carving he has a necklace carved on his neck that represents a thing called a teller which is ivory discs threaded onto a necklace which represents the heroic deeds of the individual so in in life when uh, someone came back victorious from a hunt or a battle their older sister might give them uh, one of these teller to celebrate their deeds the enemies get a face, but in terms of detail, they, they don't get any of that detail. They definitely don't get any genitals because, apparently, they would have been removed by the victorious foe.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Well, they would, when they were dead,
1: right? Yes, I would hope so.
0: Yeah.
1: Oof. So, as you might expect, there's some ceremony involved in placing these statues. So we spent a month carving it. The community come round and they look and they comment on the work. They all have a drink of a thing called Chaka, which is a kind of cereal or vegetable-based beer. And some people go out and dig a spot for the statues. Everyone processes out to the site, singing and dancing and chanting sacrifice a goat pour the blood into the pit to cleanse the area and we put up the statue hero in the middle wives either side enemies killed and uh weapons and then animals hunted at the end where do they put it there are different places have different traditions but the one thing it's it is always done is facing away from the village so it's in a a location where you could gather but you face it away from the village because if you face it the village there's a chance that the spirit of the hero will return to the village and you've got a haunting on your hands and
0: oh wow okay but that's kind of fascinating. Like, these little metre-high statues, loads of them, the family, cluster them, them around. just cluster yeah. them around. I mean, not
1: everyone gets them. You have to be a hero to, in order well, yeah. to achieve them. obviously. Look,
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to work this through, because, like, you know, when I do pass, this is something that I'm going to want. So I'm just trying to picture it. So they're at the little village, outside the village, all these little statues pointing away. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking, when we do yours, it'll be you, meet your left, a vanquished Paul Dursley, <laughs> we'll pop it up on Croydon High Street. People will, every time they go past, they'll go, oh, do you remember history happening? Happened everywhere. Those guys were heroes. Ethiopia proverb. A good name is better than a good perfume.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Is that a moment? That was for me. All right. Okay, our final item of wood is from the Museum of Healthcare in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. I'll be honest, this one isn't actually in their collection. There's a picture of it on their website, and I figured that was good enough. Yeah, it's fine. So this is because this is an everyday item with a long history, but it's still in use today. And do you know what it is? It is, in fact, a twig. Specifically, it's a twig from the tree Salvadora persica, also known as the toothbrush tree. No way. So this is a small evergreen tree. The sticks are traditionally used in Ethiopia and very widely Africa, the Middle East, as a natural toothbrush called mizwak, also known as Arak, Jack, and Pilu. Arak, Jack, and Pilu. So Mizwak goes back a long, long time. Possibly used by the Babylonians 3,500 BCE. In the Islamic Hadith, it suggested, quote, to make a regular practice of Mizwak, for verily it is the purification for the mouth and a means of the pleasure of the Lord. I so want to try a bizwak. Right, it's just a stick, right? But does it work?
0: This is the the important. It's a great question. That's what I want to know. And also, how do you use it? Do you Um, just rub it
1: against your teeth? So you kind of chew it. You put it in your mouth, you kind of chew it down so you get a bit of a fibrousy brushy end and you kind of brush and chew and brush and chew brush and chew yeah okay so there's a 2012 study by a guy called Hassan Suleiman Halawani he found that chewing mizwak releases fresh sap which might have an anti-caryogenic effect that's anti-tooth decay it contains oh, sulphur which is bactericidal silica has an abrasive effect and helps remove stains from tooth surfaces and the little slightly bitter taste it gives stimulates saliva which also helps keep decay at bay there's another 1978 study called Efficiency of Traditional Chewing Sticks in Oral Hygiene Programs Among Ethiopian School Children by B. Olson found it as effective as the tooth toothbrush in removing oral deposits should be recommended for use in preventative dental programs in ethiopia since it is effective inexpensive and familiar to the population that's amazing no it's good isn't it but there you have it that is not wood that has been worked by man but wood that is put to work for man Uh, i leave you with the humble twig the toothbrush tree so i hope you like that that's everything but um if you didn't like it have one last ethiopian proverb okay tell me it Do not blame God for creating the tiger, just thank him for not giving it wings. (laughs) Yeah, that's really true. Can you imagine a tiger with wings? That would be something, right? So if you didn't like the episode, be grateful it wasn't worse.
0: (laughs) Well, Peter, my goodness. You have woodworked your way into my heart.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Perfectly done, sir.
0: (laughs) Uh, I really enjoyed that. There was some fascinating stuff. I knew none of that and some fascinating characters there.
1: I highly recommend you tune into The Verdict, or in your case, attend, because (laughs) there was so much I didn't use as well. There was just loads of fascinating stuff from various eras. I look forward to it. So, Peter, it is my turn. Well, let's wheel her out, shall
0: we? Okay, here it comes. I'm going to switch it on. And, OK, all right, we're good to go. Whenever you are ready, press the button. I'm ready for the button.
1: OK, so your place is Middle Earth. Wait, what? Yeah, I'll be honest, I've rigged it this week, Ryan. I thought it would be interesting to do something that wasn't as uh, real as uh, as normal. So I thought we might take a trip to Tolkien land. What, like fictional world? Fictional world, hobbits, elves, dwarves and whatnot. Middle Earth, that's my country. I've tampered with the dirt <laughs> later and that's what you've got. <laughs> OK, <laughs>
0: So, all right, so I guess time period.
1: Well, I had to tamper with this too because obviously Middle Earth has its own time period, and your time is the Third
0: Age. The Third Age. I don't know much about Tolkien. I'll be honest. So I'm hoping that's a good age.
2: Well, time... I don't know how many
0: ages there are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Loads of them. All the good stuff happened, I would imagine. Probably. Okay. Are you ready for your topic?
0: Oh no, if it's sport
1: or the ring toss, that's what you're gonna get.
0: Your topic is madness. 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 Yeah, let's give it a go. All right, so um, we're going to head into the world of Tolkien for the next episode, and it's madness in Middle Earth during the Third Age. All right, well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to learn
1: an awful lot. It's no more difficult than a country we've never heard of, right? Yeah,
0: history happened everywhere, and even in a fictional world. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so, well, look, that is the show for this week. So thank you all for listening. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about on the show or just to say hello, you can reach out to us through our website at HHEPodcast.com or by email at ryan at HHEPodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured, named on a future show. That's right. And if you're on TikTok... Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, you can find us at HHE Podcast. Subscribe to those, you'll get an alert every time we post one of our one-minute animated HHE bites. And we're gonna be back again soon with the verdict. But until then, a huge thanks to Peter Goddard. Thank you, Ryanweir. And that's
1: it. I guess all that's left to say is you've been listening to
2: History happened. Everywhere. Everywhere. Hey, Pete. Hey, Ryan. Uh, can you help me with this box? Oh, yeah, sure. Whoa, this is heavy. What have you got in here?
0: Oh, what, in the box? Yeah. Oh, uh, it's the Ark of the Covenant. Wait, what? Yeah, it's the Ark of the Covenant. A
1: real one? Yeah. Why have you got that? Well, I want to open it and see what's inside. But that's super dangerous. Haven't you even seen Indiana Jones? Yeah, of course. You saw what it did to the Nazis.
0: Yeah, it melted their faces off. Right. But we're not Nazis, are we? Sure. So we'll be fine.
2: Fine, wait, don't open it. Come on, it'll be fine. Ryan, no, stop, don't, don't.
0: See? It's fine. Oh, yeah. So, what's inside? Take a look. All right. Ah!
1: <laughs> huh. I guess Pete was a Nazi. I'm not a Nazi. Also, don't be a Nazi. <laughs>
0: Wooza! Tejar! mataz